Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by City Hall reporter Joshua Fector, business editor and columnist Greg Jefferson. And we're really pleased today to be joined by one of our colleagues, uh, County reporter Scott Huddleston. And Scott has been covering what has turned into a pretty interesting rescue boat rift between uh, freshman county commissioner Trista Berry and Sheriff Javier Salazar. Um, this this goes back a couple of months um, to a presentation that, that the sheriff made to the commissioner's court, but things really kind of came to a head last week. What, what's the backstory on this, Scott? Hi, Gilbert. Yeah, this is the most uh, discussed boat probably ever in San Antonio. (laughs) That's fair to Um, say. When you consider that we have a county government that lays out, you know, many millions of dollars on a regular basis. And and they're spending so much time on a $20,000 boat request. Um, so that that's how it started in April with uh, the sheriff requesting uh, acceptance of a donation from the Sheriff's Office Foundation for a boat, uh, an aluminum boat for up mm-hmm. to five people with an onboard generator and 150 horsepower motor and a cruising speed of 37 miles per hour, which I mm-hmm. guess could pull some water skiers. Just yeah. kidding. Um, <laughs> And the idea was that, that this was for, for rescues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, initially he was talking in terms of doing, you know, search, search missions, you know, searching for a body or a submerged vehicle. Um, lately, uh, he's kind of shifted his uh, rhetoric, if you will, to, to talk more about, you know, saving lives in, in terms of, you know, preventing drownings that have occurred in other other uh, counties nearby. So, um, you know, you have to wonder how, how many lives can one boat save, especially if it's not, you know, already deployed on a body of water. You can't unless the sheriff has a crystal ball know yeah, where sure. um, that, that kind of uh, operation is going to be needed. So um, in any way, uh, he presented that on April 6th and uh, the county commissioner uh you know, she had it pulled from a consent agenda and then yeah. she she balked at it and said, you know, here you are, you're asking for a shiny new toy. And at one point during a very lively exchange, she uh, referred to his request as fiefdom building, right. which um, at the time seemed kind of a little bit out of bounds. Um, I, I know that he has talked uh, since then about bringing back a scuba unit that he said that the sheriff's office used to have. So um, that might have been unwittingly uh, playing into her initial accusation. But um, so, you know, the long story short was that the commissioners asked the sheriff to come back to them with more details about this request, you know, the maintenance, the liability, the operations, um, where would this boat be stored and those kinds of things. And, um, And it seemed that he would maybe come back in a few weeks. Well, you know, two months passed and then he's posing uh, for a photo with uh, the owners of Black Rifle Coffee Company, mm-hmm. and they're presenting him a $32,000 check uh, for this boat. And uh, shortly after that, one of the co-owners of that business uh, posted on Instagram calling Trish DeBerry a garbage politician. And and then, you know, 
the peanut gallery of right. social media like, weighed in and called her all kinds of names, you know, the yeah. F word, the C word, you know, you, you know, hundreds sure. of, of sure. comments. And so um, the county judge uh, last Monday sent a letter to the sheriff saying, you know, I'm not I'm going to refuse this thirty two thousand dollar donation for a boat because of, you know, this, you know, very vile, uh, despicable, uh, you know, campaign that's been waged against the, the county commissioner. And um, he's basically saying, I'd rather have, you know, taxpayer funds pay for this boat if it's needed. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of where we stand. The sheriff put out a st- statement, at the, right? Yeah, he was on vacation when all this happened. <laughs> and so it's kind of he, he posted yeah. a humorous uh, kind of meme where he's saying, hey, I'm back on vacation. What's going on? <laughs> what happened? What did I miss? Sure. And so he's basically uh, telling everyone to chill out on social media. Don't attack. You know, if you disagree with her, you can say that. But don't attack the commissioner and don't attack the, the county judge. And so. Um, you know, I think that uh, things have kind of leveled off and our county leaders are ready to come back to the table <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, kind of hash this out. And uh, Judge Wolf uh, said the other day that he still wants to hear the details about why the sheriff feels that a boat is needed. And he, he says that maybe it's needed at Calaveras um, because mm-hmm. it's one of the few areas that's not covered by the city. Um, but he, he still maintains that, um, you know, there are a lot of crazy people in the world and he was concerned about, uh, Trish DeBerry's, uh, you know, her welfare and, sure, sure. uh, people saying derogatory things online. So, um, I think that they're going to be able to get beyond the personalities, but, um, you know, first of all, they've got to sort out, you know, what, what is the boat? What, what does it need to be used for? And you know that he's probably going to have to have at least one scuba diver to, uh, mm-hmm. to go with it to, to, you know, if it, if it involves searching for bodies and that kind of thing. Um, but he's got to have the right rationale. I don't see, uh, you know, one boat saving people from drowning, you know, yep. um, for the reasons that I've already explained. Uh, I think that, uh, the, County Constable's office um, in Precinct 4 has a couple of jet skis at Calaveras Lake. So, mm-hmm. you know, what is it that we're really talking about here in terms sure. of the need? I wanted to ask you, there were a few interesting things you pointed out. I mean, one was that the with the original request that he made or the presentation they made on April 6th, when he talked about the $20,000, this wasn't really a, re, uh, a funding request from the commissioners. It was basically saying, I've got this donation from the, the sheriff's uh, foundation. Right. Right. Yeah. And then I think another right. thing too that's that's interesting is that um, the the owner of Black Rifle Com- Co- Coffee Company, uh, I, it's it seemed like the 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 most uh, vile or extreme hateful things that were said were in response to his original post. I mean, his his, his yeah. original post was certainly inflammatory. But so yeah, this, so that that was one thing that maybe that you know some people might might have been. Uh, you know, confused about, but one mm-hmm. thing that really struck me was when yeah. the sheriff made that presentation and he got that negative response from commissioner DeBerry and, uh, and they talked to, they talked to him about, you know, coming back again, just come back with this. And he, he cut, mm-hmm. kind of defensive and it sounds like he just, he was kind of saying, well, it was almost like he was taking the kind of just, let's just forget about it kind of stance. And he said something yeah. like, excuse, right. uh, uh, that, that this was being used as an excuse to bring me up and attack me yet yeah. again. And of course, Trish DeBerry's mm-hmm. only been on the commissioner's court for a few months, but w- what history, is there some history there where he, he sensed that, that she's been kind of uh, targeting him in some way? 
Um, she's made the overtime uh, staffing issue at the jail one of her uh, pet issues, um, and understandably so, uh, because she does uh, put herself out as as a fiscal conservative, right. the only Republican on the court. And so um, she has, uh, you know, sparred with him, um, not only over that issue in itself, but um, his availability to um, meet with her. And, um, you know, I, I think that she's mentioned a couple of times that uh, she went to the jail and um, she got a presentation by his staff, but he wasn't there. And uh, she's, she said things like, well, I was disappointed that you weren't there and that kind of thing. But you're right. Mm -hmm. um, he did say um, during that mm, he, heated exchange, I believe the need is there. But when it's being used as an excuse to bring me up and attack me yet again, we'll just kill the item. That's those yep. were his exact words that day. So, yeah, he, he did say yet again, which I think speaks volumes about their relationship. But that's that's an ongoing source of concern. As someone who covers the county, I mean, I, I was curious what were your thoughts on this, because I think I think maybe the the, the narrative, uh, uh, I don't want to put words in the mouth of the county commissioner, but I think certainly people I think who are supportive of her uh, would say, you know, that we've had problems with the county jail. We've had deputies getting in trouble. And there's, I think, some sense uh, uh, that he has, the sheriff has been um, maybe defensive when he's been question about these things or maybe not as transparent uh, as he as he should be um as someone who covers the county what's your take on that um i think that he he's tried to answer all all the questions from the media um but you know it, it seems like that 200 or so po vacant positions at the jail um it just that that issue keeps lingering even though he keeps saying, you know, we've got another uh, class of cadets that's about to graduate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, it, it seems like that issue is just ongoing. And um, there's there's also uh, been a number of lawsuits. And that's something that the county judge mentioned the other day. Mm -hmm. uh, they're concerned about the lawsuits that have been filed against the sheriff's office. You might recall that there was that settlement in May involving the death of Cameron Prescott, a six year old boy who was killed mm -hmm. by deputies in 2017. Um, uh, $4.5 million were awarded to his parents and uh, $500,000 was awarded to the mother of Amanda Jones, the 30 year old uh, uh, woman who had been suspected of uh, car theft. And so um, they're concerned about, you know, all of these lawsuits and potential settlements. And so um, th that's part of the rationale that they're, they're speaking about when they're talking about the context of the discussion of this boat, what would the liability issues be? Well, Scott, it, it was great having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We'll see what happens with this boat. It's, <laughs> it keeps making waves. <laughs> on that note, thanks, Scott. Take care. Thank you. Josh, last week we had uh, a, a city council B session where we kind of got an update on what's happening with the budget. It seems like the uh, the news is, is pretty positive so far. What's happening with that? So... Basically, what what you're kind of seeing and you've been feeling if you're living in San Antonio is that, you know, basically San Antonio is back on kind of like an upswing, you know, economically speaking. You know, people are uh, eating at restaurants again. They're they're shopping They're uh, You know, tourists are, are slowly kind of coming back to 
to San Antonio um, and, you know, hotel rooms are starting to fill up again. Um, and, you know, what that's done is sort of accelerated or um, perhaps accelerated. It's not the right word. Um, it's basically improved the city's financial picture. Right. Uh, more quickly than it had anticipated. Um, and so, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, city officials were saying, look, like we're probably going to have to look at cutting, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 340 million in, in, you know, sort of make that much in budget cuts over the next five years, you know, because they were thinking, look, our economy is not going to bounce back that slowly or back that quickly. So they were kind of preparing for the worst. And, you know, that's kind of changed in the past couple of weeks. And so what's, uh, you know, what, what they're basically looking at now is, is coming back and restoring a lot of the, the cuts that they made uh, during the pandemic in order to sort of stave off uh, some of the, uh, you know, harsher effects on the, on the budget that, that, you know, the financial downturn was having. Um, so you're going to see things like street maintenance is going to come back. Um, you know, in terms of there's 16 million in spending on street maintenance that was, uh, that was caught during the pandemic. You saw the, uh, the city was going to have to give furlough days, uh, to, to city employees. Um, but you know, there are a couple things happening, you know, you've got the economy improving, but you've also got this influx of stimulus money from the federal government that is, that is going to help them offset um, a lot of these, these financial losses. And, you know, in addition to sort of plugging holes in, in, in the dam, you know, they're, they're getting this influx of dollars. That's going to help them out with emergency housing assistance. Uh, It's going to help them sort of boost money for, for social services, including helping the homeless. Uh, and, you know, so, and you're going to see sort of the city want to boost, you know, aid to sort of public health efforts and uh, reducing domestic violence. Um, and that was sort of the early picture that city staff laid out to city council last week. They're due for another sort of what they call their budget goal setting sessions later this week. Um, and so basically, you know, the, the financial picture is looking better than it did last year. Yeah. Uh, you know, as sort of city budgets across the nation were kind of f- faced with this, these budget crunches, um, you know, that's uh, starting to be alleviated now. And so they're looking right. for ways to, to sort of, uh, fix sort of these budget cuts and figure out, you know, where they can put these additional dollars based on, you know, the problems that were exacerbated by the pandemic. You know, we've got basically, a, you know, a new, a new council just getting started for the, what, how many new members, five new members? Like, do you yeah, have any sense of members. what their spending priorities are going to be yet? Uh, we're, we're still kind of, they're still all kind of getting their, their feet wet to a degree. Um, but you know, they've, they've made some, uh, I, I would say moves towards, you know, showing what their, their priorities are going to be. Um, you've got, you know, Terry Castillo and Jalen McHugh Rodriguez are, 
are kind of the people to watch in in this cycle. They're you know the the two democratic socialists that are coming in, and so far you know they've been very much about like look like we need streets, sidewalks, and you know sort of the nuts and bolts of 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 uh, of city government. Um, they want to see funded. You know, Terry Castillo back at at this uh, B session last week was saying, look, like District Five, the West Side, we don't have. Uh, we simply don't have sidewalks in in D five. She tells this anecdote um, where basically, like the house that she grew up in, didn't have sidewalks, and the the people uh, in front and the people who live there now still don't have a sidewalk in front. Um, so that's that is a that is a priority for both of them. Jalen McKee Rodriguez has said that he is he plans to push for a city office of civil rights that for now like the the is is going to basically would basically investigate uh, the uh, not investigate but basically enforce the the city's non-discrimination ordinance. Um, the um, Mario Bravo has brought up separately, um, this idea of creating this office of independent oversight, which would basically look into uh, police brutality, uh, instances of police brutality um, for the most part, but would also double as kind of like an, uh, an, a way to sort of beef up the city's uh, ethics policies as well and to investigate ethics violations and, and things of that nature. Um, th that's kind of where you're, you're seeing a lot of the, uh, the new council members going at this point. Josh, as you, as you pointed out there, uh, the, the city is going to get quite a bit of federal stimulus money, uh, more than $465 million. Um, the, the, this year's budgetary process is going to happen, uh, you know, in, in August, September, it's going to, they're going to vote in September on, on a, on a budget for this next fiscal year. How much of, of, of the, the stimulus money do they have to, to sort out, um, this year or is, I mean, will there be, uh, I imagine there's going to be a lot of it that's going to be, um, set aside for, for, you know, the next few years. Uh, what, what's your sense about that? As far as I can tell, they don't have to spend it immediately. Yeah. Um, they just have to figure out how to spend it by 2024. And even, even then, they have another two years to spend it. So basically, they have, they have until 2024 to figure out how they want to spend all this money and until 2026 to actually spend it. So they're, they're going to have this on the books for quite some time. Um, you know, city manager Eric Walsh was saying he envisions kind of a three to five year sort of mm -hmm. uh, finance plan uh, that that will be drawn up uh, to sort of, you know, guide the use of of these uh, of these dollars. And to some degree, they're still trying to figure out what exactly they can use all this money on, you know, something that that was brought up during the, the council discussion on Wednesday is, can we use this to to fortify or to spend any on say preparing for you know something like winter storm Mary, um uh, yeah. the february winter freeze can we spend money from this to to basically make the city more resilient more communicative during times of crisis mm -hmm. which is something that they're they're trying to figure out um but you know it, it's that's 
doesn't seem to be a likely use of of these uh these dollars that i can tell um what you're probably what something that was that was very interesting to me last week was uh the city manager floated the idea that the city could go out for bonds uh Hmm. to uh to make some some kind of sort of preparations but on on that front but Hmm. that still wouldn't uh cover say you know backup generators for the uh you know the the san antonio water systems pumping stations that would be something saws would have to go do uh so they're kind of in the midst of, of figuring out even though they've got sort of like a rough idea of what they can use the money on um what exactly um they can they can spend it on gotcha um i wanted to talk a little bit about uh a development that happened last week uh, regarding the uh, Friedrich complex on the east side. This uh, is a really sprawling site that has been vacant for more than 30 years. It's been talked about a lot uh, when we've we've heard discussions about the need for, for development on the east side. And um, last week, we had the uh, San Antonio Housing Trust Public Facility Corporation Board take a vote, uh, which authorized this partnership between uh, the the housing trust PFC and uh, Provident Realty, which is a Dallas-based company, and the way that these partnerships work is um, the 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 PFC will uh, in, in it basically in exchange for the for this partnership they uh, they get an agreement the the, the company in this case Provident Realty. Uh, gets long-term tax breaks, and they're not going to have to pay any any property taxes. And in exchange, uh, the uh, the company, uh, the developer, promises to uh, or commits to uh, a, a, at least half of the units being affordable housing. Um, the the real problem comes in when it, when it comes to the idea of what what we define as affordable housing. Uh, in in this case, you had uh, 179 of the 358 units will be quote unquote affordable. 155 of those 179 will be earmarked for people at 80% the area um, medium income. And that translates to a studio apartment going for $1,100 a month. And a lot of people would question whether that's affordable or not, but this is this kind of gets to the whole issue of how the, the housing trust PFC has worked and questions that people have had about it. And I'm interested in getting uh, both of your thoughts about it. But the one point that I wanted to make, uh, regardless of how you where you fall on the on the policy behind this, the the process by which this uh, deal was made was was really questionable. And I say that because they had week before last they had had a board meeting. And uh, because of concerns that Councilman John Courage, one of the board members, had about uh, affordability being sufficient there, um, they tabled the vote. And then they came back last Monday, which was the last day on the council for three of these five board members, Shirley Gonzalez, um, Rebecca Villagran, and Roberto Trevino. And they they approved this thing on j- the day before a new council was coming in. Um, and the day before the District 2 uh, council member, 
uh, Jalen Mickey Rodriguez was going to be sworn in. And he was someone who had expressed real concerns about whether this was, there was going to be enough affordability or whether this was going to create too much gentrification on the East side. So um, I think there are, Many people I've talked to who've really been bothered by the way this thing was handled, regardless of, of you know, the, the vote itself. Greg, I want to ask you a little bit because, you know, you've I mean, you've certainly followed this, the, the issue of what's going to happen with the Frederick building for a long time. We've heard about it for a long time. Um, and when you look at this, the, the question about affordability and the role of the PFC in this, um, I mean, what do you make of this? Well, I mean, I, I think, first of all, it it's it's probably worthwhile kind of looking at what uh, the Friedrich complex, what kind of drag it's been on that community. Uh, You know, this is, you know, this is a refrigeration plant that basically shut down in the early nineties and it's been uh, pretty much deserted since then. I mean, at some point uh, developers came in and turned some of it into office space, but, but, you know, very little, and, you know, you drive by it, it just looks abandoned mm-hmm. and, and has for four years. Uh, and that's been a tremendous drag on uh, growth in the area. So right. there has been, I mean, part of, I think, in addition to the, <laughs> or maybe even feeding into the unseemliness of ramming this through like they did last week, was a sense of urgency. Like you, right. like it does seem as if uh, Provident Realty, they have an actual plan. Um Hey, hey, it just might work this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there was, uh, there seemed to be momentum uh, behind the the project and this particular developer. And I think the excuse uh, PFC put up last week for having this, this kind of out of sequence vote right before new council members were sworn in was that the financing, you know, if, if we don't get a vote on this, if, if, the, if the board uh, mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't vote on this and approve it, you know, it's going to put financing for the project in jeopardy. But I mean, look, this is, you know, this is part of dealing with a public entity. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't, yeah. you know, this is not a private sector transaction. This is, you know, you're talking about public dollars here. This is a public subsidy. They're not going to have to pay, you know, property taxes on this property and, you know, for construction materials, they're not going to have to pay sales taxes. I mean, those are big benefits and there's a, there's a trade-off for that. It's like, look, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, sorry, it might be inconvenient, uh, you know, for the developer, but I mean, you, you know, you chose this method of financing mm-hmm. and so, you know, they should be held to a high standard of, of transparency. Uh, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, it was wrong to have, you know, done this the way they did last week in such a hurried fashion. Yeah, and the one council vote against it, Roberto Trino, has has he's actually argued that he thinks it's it's a good project. He doesn't necessarily object to it, um, but he just thinks, and he actually he's made the the case, which I think uh, Provident would probably disagree with, that they could do it without the PFC's involvement. And so I think his take is more like, what do we, you know, what are we getting? Uh, we're giving away a lot, obviously, when it comes to property taxes. What are we getting in return? And, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, Josh, when, when we look at this, I mean, this, if we look at the decade of downtown in San Antonio, the desire to increase development in the urban core, uh, to bring, bring this, you know, to combat sprawl and, and to, to really generate growth. This is kind of 
this this case is kind of uh, you know uh, uh, kind of symptomatic of what we've been looking at. You know, we've, we're trying to get to generate growth. We all everybody can see the benefit of that, but then the the concerns that follow about whether there's not enough affordable housing, whether it's basically going to be housing for people coming in from the outside, and it's going going to uh, drive up uh, you know appraisals for people who live on the east side and 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 force people out of their homes i mean all these all these issues that we've been dealing with and the city's been trying to get right um they, they come into play here right yeah and it's i can see this being sort of a flashpoint going forward kind of a, a definitive sort of marker in terms of yes it, it's sort of defining you know, Jalen McKee Rodriguez's term, right. um, you know, he campaigned against, you know, sort of the influence of developers on the east side. And, you know, right as he's about to take office, um, he's, uh, you know, you see this kind of come down uh, without his input at all. Um, you know, this had been, you know, obviously in the works for 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 years and decades yeah. um, with sort of the input of a lot of D2 uh, council members. Um, but you know, he's the D2 council member now and he didn't really get a say in it. So I, I can, I can see him sort of taking this on as sort of a, a, a defining moment in, in an early sort of like formative, uh, instance for him as he kind of moves forward. But you're right. Like this is how the, this is kind of the, Sort of the, I would say, kind of some of the last gasps of the decade of downtown. Um, mm -hmm. You, you're right now. You're seeing uh, the the public facilities corporation. Uh, good job, by the way, on getting out San Antonio Housing Trust Public Facilities Corporation without a hiccup. That is, <laughs> Gilbert, that is that is no easy feat. Thank you. Uh, the the. Uh, you're you're seeing uh, this this body be more scrutinized lately, not just by you know us in, in the media, but also you know housing activists are are starting to pay more attention to it now and be more vocal about it. You've seen their deals uh, garner protests even mm -hmm. uh, in the past year, which was something that would have been unheard of um, several years ago, um, and. You know this this thing has is is undergoing a bit of a transformation itself. Um, it's you know just last week or the week before, um, city council approved a bunch of changes to its governance structure. Uh, you know after basically this report came out showing that the thing was basically in shambles mm -hmm. and was not really doing much to provide affordable housing, despite the fact that this was its stated mission. Exactly. Um, you know, over the years you had seen, uh, this, this body create more in the way of sort of market rate housing, uh, than you had for people who need it the most. Um, you know, people who make 30% of the, the area's median income, for example. Um, and so you you do kind of see a lot of cross currents in in this one yeah. instance. You see sort of this the the sort of some of the last gaps of mm. of the of the decade of downtown meetings. Sort of the uh, the 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 cities and the counties sort of uh, 
you know, policy priorities being, hey, look, like we're we need people to to live downtown, so we're going to subsidize it to mm-hmm. the tune of X Y Z. And mm-hmm. you're seeing the 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 the, the long sort of. Uh, gestating backlash into the decade of downtown meeting sure. in this one instance. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what happens going forward. I want to thank you all for uh, for listening in. We hope everyone's doing well, and we'll be back with you next week. Take care.